Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Do you ever ask God for discernment and he's silent? He doesn't speak. So then what you do is, Lord, I'm seeking you first. I desire to be in the center of your will, but I'm, I'm not hearing any direction from you. And I believe at that point, it's a test. God wants you to make a decision and it's a test to see what decision you make. Does that make sense? And what I do then is say, Lord, if this is your will, open the door. And if not, please shut the door. Don't let me go through. Is that okay to pray? I believe so, and we're going to find scriptural proof for that. An open door. To discover the imagery here, we need to run to scripture to see what open doors and closed doors throughout the Bible talk about. We're going to do that really quick. Paul uses it for ministry opportunities. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 Paul said, for a wide door of effective ministry, literally in the Greek, the word service, when you read that, is ministry, has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, here's the other thing about discerning God's will. Paul says, man, it's a big door open for ministry, but man, there's many adversaries. I'm getting attacked on the left and on the right. Folks, sometimes the closer to God's will you get, the more difficult life becomes. I know a lot of people say, well, I have a peace, and if I'm in God's will, then everything's going to be perfect, and there's going to be no challenges. But remember, we live in enemy territory. The closer you get to God's will, the more of a threat you are to the enemy, and the more battle you are going to face. Does that make sense? All right. So sometimes that peace, oftentimes God leads me to do stuff that I'm not comfortable with. How many of you love to share your faith? <laughs> Not many hands. It's scary. I mean, and, and yet it's out of my comfort zone, but every time I share my faith with people at Starbucks or at the grocery store or neighbors in my neighborhood, the Holy Spirit flows in and through me, and I'm refreshed when I share my faith. But it's uncomfortable. Do you think it's God's will for you to share your faith with everyone you can? Absolutely. Now, there have been times when I was going to share my faith with someone and the Lord said no. Isn't that weird? Hmm. Did that ever happen to Paul? It did. We're going to read the verse. Sometimes God shuts the door. Acts 16.6. They passed through uh, Phrygian and Galatia region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit shut that door. He didn't want him to go there. Verse 7 of Acts 16. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. He shut the door. So Christ can open doors and shut doors related to ministry, vocation, where you live, major and minor decisions in your life. We need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, and passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and that's where God wanted them to go. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. Okay, are you getting the pattern here? Okay, God will open doors for ministry, or he could shut doors. We need to listen 
to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 says, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have then also been imprisoned. The door can be faith in Jesus Christ too in the Bible, Acts 14, 27. And when they had arrived and gathered uh, the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, I believe faith is the key, right? To get Christ to open or shut doors. We need to believe that he will do that. He will direct our path. He has a plan and purpose for us. Jesus says he is the door. Remember that verse? John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came they might have life and have it abundantly. So are we being ambassadors of Jesus Christ? I believe every day, Christ is trying to open a door for you to share your faith. You ever see that? With a neighbor, with someone at Starbucks, maybe the Holy Spirit prompts your heart, hey, go share with that person or call this person. We need to look for those open doors. Further, even in our vocation, sometimes Christ will shut a door vocationally, even in a position we think is great. Oh, this is perfect. It's got to be God's will. And you're headed for it, and all of a sudden, boom, the door shuts. Oh, what are you doing, God? Well, if he shuts the door, what's the old saying? Hey, look for the open window <laughs> and crawl out. He'll open another door and a position that's perfect for you, for your good and God's glory. Do you know that vocationally, everywhere you are, you're there primarily as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? It's not necessarily for you and all your blessing. Christ is putting you there to be an ambassador, to shine forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be looking for those open doors. This week, I would encourage you, look for open doors to share your faith. Everyone you meet, you're going to have a chance to disciple. It might be another Christian who needs encouragement. It might need a Christian that needs correction. Please, folks, don't be afraid to correct Christians that believe something false. Does that make sense? We need to stand for truth, contend for truth, and reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great love and patience. Amen? So we do it all in love. Or it might be an unbeliever that you get to share the gospel with. And folks, it's not your job, believe me, to convince them to believe it's your job to present the truth. Does that make sense? They may reject it. We are farmers. We plant seeds, and the Holy Spirit waters. Other people will come, and he brings the fruit. We not necessarily need to convince them. However, if you are an apologist, then you need to study to show yourself approved and be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that lies within you. Amen? So we need to be about sharing the gospel. Everyone we talk to needs to see us as salt and light. Amen? In fact, Christ said in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. I love salt. You know, I need salt on my food. I love spice. And when it's bland, it just, ugh, I don't even want to eat it. You know what I mean? We are the salt of the 
earth. We add flavor to life. We need to approach them as ambassadors of light, sharing the love of God, not like this fear of, oh, they're going to reject me. They're going to hate me. They're going to, you know, because I'm a Christian. Hey, in, in these days, don't be surprised if they, oh, it's because of you, the world's like it is, and you guys are intolerant. Just love them. Just love on them. Present the truth in love. Amen? That's what we need to do. All right. Hey, if you lose your saltiness, what does Christ say there in verse 13? Man, how can you be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. And folks, many Christians have lost or never had their saltiness. They are not sharing their faith. Is this a convicting message? Absolutely. Here's, here's how I do it. Every day I wake up and Lord, I say, Lord, just put one person in my path today that I can share my faith with, that I can share the gospel with. Just one person. And after I witness to them, Lord, just one more person. Okay, I don't say, I'm going to witness to 10 people today. Just one every day. It might be that you carry a track and you just say, hey, you know what? At the grocery store, you pay and you give it to the clerk. On your break, read this. On the back of it, you can write my phone number if you want. Here's our pastor's phone number if you have questions. You've shared your faith. That's being a faithful, salty, good steward. Even a light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or bushel. No. But on the lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. We remember that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Sunday school, I love that. You know, I'd be like, yes. You know, and I, I remember getting my first flashlight. I'd be like, yeah, this little light of mine. <laughs> yeah, okay, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. An open door is all about opportunities to share our faith with a lost and hurting world. We need to look for those open doors. Back to our text, the next verse, or the next part of that verse, Revelation 3.8. Hey, I know your deeds, Christ said. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power. You ever wonder about that verse? Okay, this is one of the faithful churches, but they only have a little power? They're weak? What do you think? A little power. Little in the, in the uh, Greek is micros. You know that's where we get our term micro, right? It literally means, get ready, little. <laughs> it's also used for little children. Uh, when it's used twice in a Greek sentence, it's talking about little kids. Micro, micros. <laughs> you know, little kids. And dunamis is the Greek word for power, and that's where we get our term dynamite. That's explosive, miraculous, supernatural, awesome power. Hey, to this church, a good church, Philadelphia, they had a little power. What does it mean? What do you think? Do you think they were weak? The same word is used as Jesus described the mustard seed as the smallest seed. And remember this in Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, same word, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, 
You would say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. A little bit of faith goes a long way. A little bit of power, you can move mountains. Because it's not your power that does it, it's whose? Christ. And maybe Jesus was saying, listen, you have a little strength, meaning they're fighting the good fight, but, and they're enduring, and they're doing everything right, but they got to the point of fatigue. Have you ever get there? spiritually or, or even physically or emotionally, where it's just, oh, I can't go on another day. Man, I just, oh, the drudgery. You have a little strength. You're doing everything right. Christ says, don't worry. I'm going to give you dunamis power. You have a little bit in yourself, but that's a good thing. What did Paul say about that? 2 Corinthians 12.9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 12.10, I am content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, because when we're weak, I don't know about you, I run to the Lord. That's when I'm on my knees most. Lord, I need strength. I need you. And he fills us with his power. And he works in us powerfully. When we're weak, no matter how weak and beat up you feel this morning, Christ is our strength. Amen? Philippians 4.11, not that I speak from want, Paul writing again to the church at Philippi, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Have you learned that? I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Amen? Man, I quote that verse a lot when I'm at the end of my ropes, when I'm fatigued emotionally or spiritually or physically. I can do it by Christ who strengthens me. And something happens every time he gives me ability to stay the course, to finish the race or the, the battle that we do. How do we tap into spiritual strength? Real quick, faith, number one, 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Folks, there's nothing more important in life than faith. Or is love more important? Now abide at these three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is what? Love. So love is permeating everything. In fact, all the law and the prophets, everything is fulfilled in love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christ gave a new commandment, love one another even as I have loved you. So love is radically more important, but you can't have faith without love and you can't have real agape love without faith. They're kind of married to each other. They go hand in hand because what we do is trust God. That's faith. You are almighty God, creator of the universe. I, I am your precious daughter or son and you love me. Therefore, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I place my face solely in you. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen? That's where we get our strength, our victory in faith. Abiding. Number two, 
How do we tap into spiritual strength? Number one, faith. Number two, abiding in Christ. John chapter 15, verses four and five. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. You see, that way Christ gets the glory. We don't. Look what I did. Aren't I awesome? No. No, I'm the vessel that Christ used. I'm the hammer in the hand of the divine carpenter. Oh, man, it's so great to be used by God. And believe me, he wants to put open doors in your life every day to be used. There's someone you can minister to. And number three, how do we tap into the spiritual strength? We got to ask. That means pray, right? We have to be people of prayer. Are you praying and asking God for strength? Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone, oh, speaking of open doors, are you with me? And if it's not men, if it's not God's will, he won't open it. He'll say, no, look over there. <laughs> for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Of course, rattlesnakes are pretty good eating. You ever eat one? Who's eating a rattlesnake? Oh, yeah, me and Ross. We're the only hicks around. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it tastes like frog legs, which tastes like chicken. <laughs> yeah. But crocodile tastes fishy. Did you know that? Yeah, it's really weird. We had it at one of those weird restaurants, and it tastes kind of fishy. Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? No. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, remember this. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the homily Pastor Chris taught, John 3.16. Once we're saved, we have to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the empowering of the Spirit every day. That's why we have to ask. This is subsequent to salvation. Remember the disciples, when they saw the risen Lord, Christ breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their saving faith. That's the minute they were saved. They saw the risen Lord, now they believe. What happened when he died? Oh, they questioned. They didn't even think he was going to raise again. They were hiding. But when they saw him at that one point, Christ breathed on him, they received the saving faith, uh, 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 the faith to the Holy Spirit. And they became the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then Christ said, hey, go wait in Jerusalem because you will receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be what? My witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Every day we need to ask God for that strength. It's like filling up our gas tank. It's like charging our phones. We plug into the Holy Spirit to get charged up. And we need it every day. Otherwise, our battery is going to die. Ask God to fill you with your Holy Spirit. We know Acts 1.8, I just quoted it. We need to appropriate that power, the promise of the Father. And folks, believe me, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is still for the church today. It has not ceased. How do we know that? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The first sermon preached to the church Peter ended it with this. Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you, 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the procession there is repent, be baptized. By the way, you have to have faith to repent because you believe, right? So get saved, repent, get water baptized, and then ask and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, he goes on to say, is for you, your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And that includes us. Amen? We need to appropriate that power. Power is royal priest as well. And we know that uh, blessed and holy, Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, are those that take part in the first resurrection. That's the rapture. Over those, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we are royal priests. What is a, a, the job of a priest? To represent God to the people and the people to God. But now we are our own priest over this temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we represent God to a lost and hurting world, acting as a priest until they meet the priest, Jesus Christ. Right now, he is our high priest, one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. Most Christians are dangerously unaware of the power and position they have in Jesus Christ. Are you like those uh, armor of light guys up there? I tried to find one. I know it's, a, yeah, it's yeah, whatever. It's cartoony. Um, <laughs> Romans uh, 13 and 12 says, The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Are you armored up? Are you looking for open doors from ministry? That power is not only to witness, but power to endure to the end. Back to our text, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Two things there. This church was faithful because they kept his word. They contended earnestly for the faith, and they kept the faith. They didn't deny Jesus Christ. I want to explore those. You want the power of God in your life? You want him to continue to work in and through you? You need to keep his word, defend it, proclaim it, and keep the faith. Don't deny Jesus Christ. At Living Water, we preach the word of God. We stand for truth. We're like pillars holding up truth and keeping the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul wrote, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We need to be all about that. The church of Philadelphia was. And we need to keep the faith and contend for it. Jude chapter 1, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. There's not going to be any new, new stuff out there. So Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, even uh, Islam, these are all new stuff. Okay, Christianity was uh, founded by Christ some 500 and some years before uh, Muhammad even came on the scene. So that's new stuff outside of biblical truth. And we'll never deny Jesus Christ. This is kind of a scary verse, Matthew 10, 32. It says, therefore, everyone who confesses me, by the way, that's 
literally confessing. Uh, it's not, hey, uh, I live a good life, so that's how I witness. But I never proclaim the gospel. No, this is about proclaiming the gospel verbally. Hey, I know some uh, Buddhists that, that are really good people, but it's not because of Christ in them. That's just who they are. So it's not by being good that people are drawn to Christ. It's by giving them the gospel. In fact, in Romans we read, how will they believe without what? A preacher. Someone to proclaim the gospel. And how will they hear? Because faith comes by hearing. Ah, I have to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep going. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, sometimes by our silence, we are essentially denying him. Do you know that? Especially if Christ puts before you an open door, he wants you to witness, but you get too scared. Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, probably a great evangelist, said in the, in the end, he was, he was uh, speaking at this one pastor's conference. He said, to this day, God tells me to witness to somebody and I get scared to death. Bill Bright, hey, you're in good company. In your little strength, in your weakness, then you are strong. Hey, then you can go in humility and love. Hey, I saw you over there, and I really believe God wanted me to let you know that he loves you, that he's real, and he's made a way for you to know him, Jesus Christ. He's paid for all your sin. You can have a fresh start. You can be cleansed by, the, by his blood that he shed on the cross for you. He loves you more than you ever know. He wants to engage relationship with you. Sometimes, get out. I don't want anything to do with it. I always say this. Well, you know what? God told me to tell you that. And tonight when you go to bed, I wouldn't be surprised if the Holy Spirit brings back the words I told you. It doesn't let you get back to sleep very easy. And you're going to be thinking about it. You're going to see Christian bumper stickers. And God will hound you until you give your life to Jesus Christ. I've had people cuss me out, and I tell them that and then leave. <laughs> it's pretty fun. And usually it does. <clears throat> it's like, see, we don't have to feel rejected. We're not salesmen. Folks, please don't be a salesman when you share the gospel. Oh, let me tell you three things about, oh, a wonderful new life. It's, uh, no, we're giving. Man, God loves you. There's a God that's real. Man, if you want to get into apologetics, just talk about irreducible complexity. Man, the, from the atom to the whole ecosystem, everything is irreducibly complex. You remove one component, the whole thing falls apart. It couldn't have evolved. If you want to get into that a little bit, you could do that. Uh, I'm putting together a thing, by the way, that I'll uh, email out if you want. Back to our test, text, Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. The next verse. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. All right. So the Jews at this time were saying, hey, they rejected Christ. Why did they reject Christ? They wanted him to be Messiah, but they rejected him because he didn't throw off Roman rule and establish his kingdom. You see, in the Old Testament, there's two comings of Christ that were prophesied. The first, as a humble servant, riding on a donkey who would be cut off and die, okay, for all of our sins. We know that from Isaiah. We know that from Daniel. 
The second, the victorious reigning king of kings and lord of lords, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? But since he wasn't that, the Jews, many, rejected him. The early church, though, was made up primarily of Jews. But there, they were the synagogue of Satan. Any religion that denies the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, are listening to Satan himself and are part of his system. That their church, their denomination, or synagogue is of Satan. If they reject Jesus Christ, coming in the flesh, fully God, fully man, and the triune God, they are in error and they've listened to their father. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees, John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, for you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I tell you what, the synagogue of Satan during the 70th week of Daniel, the Jews will literally be following Satan and the Antichrist, the false Messiah. Then they truly will be the synagogue of Satan. So I believe in the last days, they literally will be the synagogue of Satan. Curious thing is, they're probably not going to take the mark of the beast. They're going to have a special agreement with the false Messiah, the Antichrist, where they don't have to. Why do we know that? Because they're going to get saved. They're going to look upon him who they pierced and mourn. They'll be taken to the wilderness and protected, and we will reign over them in the millennial reign, thousand-year reign of Christ. That's why Jesus told the church of Philadelphia, they're going to come and bow down at your feet. Why? It's just how you would go to a king or a ruler. It was normal. It doesn't mean worship. It just means as a subordinate, showing that subordination, even now in some cultures like Japan, people still bow. And the lower you bow, I heard, the more subordinate you were. Is that true? Kind of? Maybe? Okay. Well, anyway, my wife was uh, secretary to the president of Toshiba America. And uh, so I got to meet all these Japanese people. And uh, at first, first time I did, I was kind of still proud and arrogant. I bow to no man but God himself. You know, but it, it's, it, you're bowing out of courtesy. It's like shaking your hand or does that make sense? That's the bowing that's going on here in, in our text with Philadelphia. They will literally be the synagogue of Satan. Though. Let's continue. Revelation chapter three, verse nine B. Behold, I cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews or not, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. We will reign with Christ for a thousand years. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Again, can you deny him by your silence? I believe we need to be articulating, speaking, declaring the love of God for a lost and hurting world. God loves you. He's made a way for you to know him. Jesus Christ. If you believe, you will be saved. Mm. Revelation 26, blessed and holy are one of the first resurrection rapture because they'll come to life and reign with him for a thousand years. All right. Skip that one. Okay, uh, those that have rejected Christ but made it through the tribulation are the ones we will reign over with Christ. Do you know that? During the millennial reign on this earth, after the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year tribulation period, 
Luke 19, 17. Remember this parable? Uh, Christ said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in very little things. You are to be an authority over 10 cities. That could be literal. Because we will be ruling and reigning with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. I don't know what that looks like, but that's what the Bible says, and I believe it. Okay, back to our text, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my word and my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole earth to test them who dwell on the earth. The word test there in the Greek is an interesting word. It literally means to test something in order to judge it. So the whole idea is judgment. Does that make sense? So if you went to a Bema seat back then, you would be tested before the judge. And the judge would listen to your story, testing you, and then judge you. Okay, you need to do this or pay back this, things like that. So that hour of testing is all about God's judgment that's going to be unleashed on the earth. It is not the whole 70th week of Daniel. It happens literally at the breaking of the seventh seal. So this timeline, we looked at it last week again. Remember the first seal, starting the last seven years, uh, Satan and the Antichrist reign. They reign for how long? Just the first half, three and a half years. Uh, Revelation 13, it says, he will be given authority to reign for 42 months, which is three and a half years. That's the first three and a half. The second half Christ begins to judge the earth at the breaking of the seventh seal, and that is the hour of testing and the beginning of God's wrath, the trumpet judgments and the bulls of wrath. But all of this, when he breaks that seventh seal, guess what? Christ takes title deed of the earth back. It rightfully becomes his again. Satan no longer will be the God of this world. Christ will assume it, and the first act he does is clean house. How does he do that? He brings judgment, the trumpet judgments and the bulls of wrath on an unrepentant, horrible, satanic group of people that are left on this planet. We are rescued from the wrath. All the Jews will see him, look upon him who they pierce mourn and be taken to the wilderness and protected for three and a half years, the last three and a half years by God himself. And only those that deserve the horrific wrath will be here to endure it. Does that make sense? All right, so, all right, uh, I'll read it. Uh, the trumpet judgments and the bulls of wrath, First Thessalonians 1.10, it says, and to wait for a son from heaven who raised us from the dead, who, who raised him from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is to come. For God has not destined us to wrath, First Thessalonians 5.9, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ is going to keep us from that hour of testing. Just like the promise to the church of Philadelphia, they will be kept, so will we, as uh, the true remnant bride of Christ. Revelation 3.11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Let's pick apart that verse, and we're doing it. I'm coming quickly. A lot of uh, commentators way back thought, well, that's justification that I'm an all-millennialist. What's an all-millennialist? They believe we're already in the millennial reign, that Christ is now reigning through us already. I wish that was the case, but folks, you can look around and see that's simply not the case. No. 
uh, I'm coming quickly, literally in the Greek is this. When I come, the events are going to happen quickly. Remember in Matthew 24, it says, hey, this is the beginning of labor pains. Are you with me? When labor pains start, they begin to speed up quickly, quickly, and all of a sudden, oh, it gives birth, right? So it's slow, slow, and then it just exponentially goes, whoa. Uh, that's the idea of coming quickly here. First, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Christ, uh, Paul, yeah, Paul wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's pretty fast, okay? Uh, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. That's the rapture. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Thank God that's going to be a great day. You know, Paul says, man, this earthly tent, I groan, I moan, I long for my, my, my immortal tent, which one day we will all have. And Christ's coming will be as lightning, fast as lightning. You ever hear that phrase? They got it from this verse, <laughs> maybe. For just as lightning, Matthew 24, 27, uh, comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When he comes, it's going to be a quick event. He's going to circumnavigate the earth like lightning, and then remember, we go up and the angels gather us together to him. That's going to be quite a ride. Talk about e-ticket ride, right? That's going to be amazing. The next part of the verse. You ever, you ever hear of Five Crowns? Isn't there a restaurant, Five Crowns? In Newport? Yeah, is it Corona? Where's it at? Corona Del Mar. Okay, the Five Crowns. They get this from the Bible. Okay, that's a Christian idea. Christians get five crowns. Did you know it? Okay, let's read our text again. Revelation 3.11. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Okay, what are the five crowns? I'll give you the references. We get the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Is that a literal crown? No. No, that's Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Okay, we get the crown of life. James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. That's not a literal crown. We get the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. Not a literal crown. We get the victor's wreath. 1 Corinthians 9.25. And that's symbolic of we ran the race, we fought the fight, we finished the course. Okay? And we get the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Those are the five crowns that we get. You ever hear, oh, I did a good deed, so I get another gem in my crown? Uh, growing up, you know, pe people would say, that, oh, you're going to get another star in your crown or another ruby in your crown or diamond in your crown. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and then we're going to get our crowns and cast them at the feet of Christ. Uh, the, if there's one literal crown we get, it's the victor's wreath, Right? And, and that's not a crown. That's just a wreath. It's not going to be cast before the foot because the crowns that those 24 elders cast before Christ are literal crowns. They have authority in heaven as that angelic council. So when you read that, when we get there in a few weeks uh, in Revelation 5, we'll see that song that they sing and cast their crowns. These are angels and the 24 elders, not the church. Okay, and we'll get there soon. So verse 12, 
uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, the na- and this is Jesus speaking, speaking of God the Father, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Interesting, Christ is going to get a new name. Hmm. And it's going to be written on us. But note this. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. We need to examine that. All right. Pillars. The church of Philadelphia, remember, had 17 temples in, in that city of Philadelphia. All the temples had these awesome pillars. In fact, the beauty of this, uh, back in the day, this, this was beautiful white, I mean, polished stonery and all of this. It was amazing. And there were 17. We know symbolically that the church is the pillar in support of truth, right? Okay, we already read that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Pillars have the idea of holding something together. Philadelphia had earthquakes all the time. Remember last week we discovered in 17 AD when Christ was maybe 22, 21 to 23 years old, hadn't started his ministry yet. They had a big earthquake in Philadelphia, and Tiberius rebuilt it later. Um, but if you notice when you look at ruins, oftentimes the only thing left standing, everything else falls, are the pillars. Have you ever seen that? Throughout Rome, throughout Greece, throughout the ancient world, the pillars stood. The idea of holding something up, like we hold up truth and support truth and defend truth, These pillars were grand and glorious. And it's interesting in our text that he said, you will be a pillar in the temple of God and you will not go out anymore. Okay, back then when the earthquakes hit, guess what happened to the temples in Philadelphia? Everybody ran out. No, it was, you ever seen like a hotel earthquake happens? Everyone's like running out of the hotel in their uh, PJs and, all of that. That's the idea. He goes, man, you won't have to do that anymore. Does that make sense? Okay. Remember also in Philadelphia that um, it was called Little Athens because of the 17 temples. But if a man served the city well, they would inscribe his name on one of the pillars in the pagan temples. Isn't that interesting? So we are in our text right now this morning called Pillars in God's temple. And Christ is going to write God's name the name of God's city, the new Jerusalem, and his new name on us. Kind of like they did on pillars there. But back to our text. Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I got to tell you, right now, God's temple is what? It's heaven. Yeah, the tabernacle in heaven, right? And we on earth are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is not at the Dome of the Rock. He is not at the Temple Mount. Even though the Jews venerate that place, right now we are the Temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You'll be a pillar in the Temple of God, and you won't have to go out again. Could it be right now the church is the pillar in support of truth? We are God's temple, living stones being built together, meaning you're not going to leave the church. Church Philadelphia, man, you are going to be solid in the church. For eternity, 
It's interesting. There is no temple. You can worship God and will worship God anywhere you are. The New Jerusalem, the gates are never shut. In fact, everywhere you go, guess what? Will be the temple of God. Here's what it says, Revelation 21, 22. In the New Jerusalem, on the new earth, for our eternal state, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Jesus, are its temple. The whole universe will be God's temple. The new heavens, the new earth, the gates are always open. We will spend eternity doing what God intended Adam and Eve to do in the first place. Enjoy God's creation and give him glory and worship him. So you will no longer go out of the temple. Why? Because the whole, all creation is the temple of God. Because God himself is the temple. Isn't that amazing? All right. Verse 12b. Revelation chapter 3. And I, Jesus, will write on him the name of my God. Remember right now, God the Father is, uh, has all authority and Christ submits to God the Father. Um, in Daniel 7, at the second coming, the Father will give Christ all rule and authority and dominion. That's when he becomes King of kings and Lord of lords. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, and my new name. Three names written on us. It's going to be Yahweh. That's what I believe the Tetragrammaton is. In the Old Testament, any time the name of God is written, it's simply Y-H-W-H. They call it the Tetragrammaton. Your translation will make it LORD, all caps, L-O-R-D. That's how they translate that, but that's not the translation. Probably the best is Yahweh or Yahweh. That will be written on us. Christ's new name, and Jesus gets a new name. We'll read about it in Revelation 19, and the name of the new Jerusalem. Names denote ownership, right, privilege, and access especially names here. Unbelievers will get a name written on them too. Whose name will it be? The Antichrist. Yeah, the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13, verse 6, we read this. And the Antichrist causes all, the, uh, the small, the great, the rich, the poor, the free men, and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the Antichrist, the beast, so his literal name, or the number of his name, and here is wisdom. Let him understand and calculate the number of the beast, for the number is out of a man. The number is 666. All right. So here the name is giving access and privilege to what? Buy and sell and be a member of the Antichrist false one world government. Are you with me? If you don't have that name, you, you don't have access to that. Thus, the name of God the Father, the new Jerusalem and Christ's new name, means we have access to God the Father. That the new Jerusalem, that's how we get in. It's probably a chip that we'll get. No, I don't know what it'll be. Uh, but we have access to the new Jerusalem, access to God the Father and Christ Jesus. Of note, some people say the 144,000 Jews uh, that are uh, sealed to protect them from the wrath of God after we're raptured out uh, represent the church. Simply can't be. In fact, in Revelation chapter 7, we're told there are Jews, 12,000 from every tribe. 12 tribes, 12,000 Jews. Later, we're told that there are males who have taken probably a Nazarite vow. They haven't touched wine nor women. 
So it's 144,000, I say probably priests, that are going to be sealed by God to do something while all of Israel is protected in the wilderness. They'll be out because they'll be sealed so the um, wrath of God doesn't touch them. In fact, Revelation 14.1, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name, Yeshua. Do we get Christ's name? Yeshua? No, we get his new name. They, the Jews, get his old name, Yeshua, Messiah. We get his new name. Remember, I no longer call you slaves, Christ said, but what? Friends. And we are joint heirs with Christ. Think about that. His new name to us will be different. Now he's Messiah. Now he's our high priest. Then for a thousand years, he'll be king of kings and lord of lords. And he'll get a new name. Hmm. I looked, uh, they have uh, the name Yeshua and the name of his father, Yahweh, written on their foreheads. Okay, they have something different. Israel, the Jews, will get a new name too. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. You didn't know this, did you? For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, speaking of the nation of Israel, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. So everybody gets a new name. Christ gets a new name, except God the Father. He doesn't get a new name. The Jews get a new name, and we as members of the church get a new name as well. Uh... Revelation chapter 3, verse 12b. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. That's Christ speaking. So Christ gets the new name in Revelation chapter 19, verse 12. His eyes, speaking of Christ, are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. That's his new name. It's going to be written on us too, but no one knows it. We get a new name, too, that no one knows except us and God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Interesting. Significance of name changes. Like your signature, it has power. It has access. It has authority. It indicates family. When you're born, uh, you take on your parents' name. When you're adopted, you give up your old name and take on your new parents' name. When you get married, wives, you take on the name of your husband. Names are important, especially in the Bible. They have meaning. So these names will mean something. Okay, the letter to the Church of Philadelphia ends with this. We have four minutes. Revelation 3.13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. I believe throughout the Bible, God is asking for those that have ears to hear. Amen? In fact, Psalm 95.7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. God is constantly trying to speak to us. 
Most of the time, we don't have ears to hear. I tell you, this morning, Christ said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's being ambassadors of Christ, having ears that will hear. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have been partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, please don't harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Philadelphia was a faithful church. God will find out next week to the church of Laodicea. Remember they were lukewarm. And Christ was standing at the door of their heart knocking. Notice he didn't open the door. He could have. He was waiting for them to open the door and let him in. That's receiving the free gift of grace. We have to respond, the free will gift of grace. They kept the word of God and defended truth, this church of Philadelphia, and we need to be like them. They kept their faith and didn't deny Jesus Christ. In the days ahead, we're going to have to hold to that. They were actively sharing their faith, looking for open doors for evangelism. They listened to and followed Christ without hardening their hearts. We need to be this church. This is the kind of church in these last days that God is looking for, that he'll bless. You feel defeated? Start sharing your faith. I, all of a sudden, God will pour into you living water, and it will flow out of you into those around you. That's how I conquer depression, anxiety, whatever. I just go out and share my faith. After a few hours of that, man, I feel energized. <laughs> even though I more and more get rejected. And they need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit even when they're weak. Because when we're weak, amen, that's when we're strong. I tell you what, it's long past time for the sleeping church to wake up and recognize the incredible power that we have in the name of Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Bible says all you need for that empowering is to ask, and he'll give it to you. This morning, we need to really ask God to give us that strength. We should be supermen and women. <laughs> Who knows what movie that's from? Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. But the idea is the Bible always says we hold up our shield of faith. We carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are superheroes. We are not of this world. Do you know that? Do you believe that? We are strangers and aliens on this planet. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Why do we walk, what did Paul say, like mere men? We're not. We need to rise up above the and be ambassadors of light and act with nobility and love and to stand our ground for truth even in the midst of these last days. Believe me, the enemy wants to take the fruit of the Spirit out of your life. He wants to make you hate and not love. Do you know that? He wants to make you sad and not joyful. He wants to make you anxious and not at peace. He wants to make you impulsive instead of patient. He wants to hurt, uh, make you hurtful instead of kind. Bad, not good. Unfaithful rather than full of faith. Angry and rude rather than gentle and kind. He wants you to lose control and not have self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to give us. You have a little power, but you're mighty in the Lord. Do you know that? That's how the church of Philadelphia was. The true church is engaged in one of the most challenging times 
the most challenging periods in history. I tell you what, folks, we are going to see incredible things in the days ahead. And we need to stand for truth, like the Church of Philadelphia. Christians are and will be for the near future continuously engaged against the enemy, whose goal is the destruction of your family, the church, and you as a child of God. We need to contend for the faith. We need to guard our hearts and our minds. Amen? And we do that by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we need that power to be pleasing to God. I want to end with this verse. Come on up, guys. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. That in reference to the former manner of life, I want you to recognize that. We are transformed to new creations in Christ Jesus. We should change. From what we were formerly to who we are now, we are radically different. We're strangers and aliens. We're ambassadors of Christ. Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lust of deceit. In fact, Paul said, crucify myself. How often? Daily. I pick up the cross daily. I have to die to my old nature, that old sin nature daily. Folks, we all are sinners. The whole church of Philadelphia were sinners, yet Christ had nothing bad to say. Why? Because in Christ there is no condemnation. Romans chapter uh, 8, right? Which is corrupted according to the lust of deceit, and be renewed in your spirit. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit of your mind, and put on a new self which is in the likeness of God, now been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Please do not give the devil an opportunity. And that's, I want to end it with that. Folks, the enemy wants to rob you of all the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to not see the open doors in front of you, but see them as closed or make you so fearful to go through the door that you're of no use to God anyway and you lose your saltiness. Church of Philadelphia was faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world, even in the midst of intense persecution. I pray that we would have that strength. Amen? Mighty men and women of God. Ha! Ah, if you feel weak this morning, probably you're not witnessing because when you start witnessing, God will strengthen you. I can assure you that. It's an amazing thing. All right. Uh, when I get carried away. All right. If you need prayer, we'll be out to pray with you. Uh, God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word, I love the way it comforts me, strengthens and restores my soul, satisfies my need.